0: This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment.
1: What's up? What's up, everybody? Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one the only Brandon Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast, your one-stop shop for college football, college basketball, all the great topics, talking about the two sports in college that we love. Brandon got a jam-packed show. Going to be looking at Jason Jacob Ethan expected to transfer to the Washington Huskies. What will that mean for the Huskies? Then we're going to invite on our fellow patron, well not fellow patron, our patron, I should say of Most Valuable Podcast, Patrick Hill. He's going to be coming on to talk about his college basketball team and the Rock Shock Jayhawk. Are they in trouble, Brandon? Are they in trouble? And then we're going to take a look at the NBA draft, taking a specific look at DeAndre Ayton versus Marvin Bagley and what we think about the two and which one we would draft if we had to choose one over the other but before we get into all that a little bit of housekeeping the most important one the newest of the housekeeping is we want to hear from you guys we want to get your feedback we have a survey monkey link in the description go ahead and fill out you can call it our census you can call it our survey you can just we want feedback from you so go ahead fill out our survey monkey let us know what we are doing what you like and a little information that we want to get from you guys also should take Patreon, no more than,
2: should take no more than 5 minutes the
1: average the average time with the responses that we've got the longest was like 2 minutes all right so all it's right. Nothing five, longer 5 minutes than is the five. most
2: if you're really giving some detail yeah,
1: <laughs> but 2 minute and a half has been the average for getting through it so it's not that long and then we've got patreon.com if you love what you're doing want to help support us Go check out the link down below in the description. We're also selling MVP t shirts. All that is in the description as well. And then finally, if you're on iTunes or you have an iTunes account, if you could please go and give the Primetime Podcast a five star rating, it would mean the world to both Brandon and myself. But, Brandon, we're going to jump right into it. Topic numero uno on the podcast today. We're still talking about football, even though two weeks ago I said, ah, we're pivoting back into basketball. (laughs) We just can't get away from the stuff as Jacob Eason now. The championship game's over. We recapped that last week. But Jacob Eason of, well, the former Georgia Bulldog announced he was going to transfer. It is expected that he is going to be transferring to the Washington Huskies, which is... Very interesting, because they still have at the moment Jake Browning. We're going to talk about what that means, but before I ask you that, the most important thing is Adam June from the Seattle Times reported that he's expected to um, transfer, and he would have two years of eligibility after he sits out the 2018 year. So he'd have to sit out next college football season, but if it does finalize and he's the next Washington Husky what does Jacob Eason transferring to Washington mean for the Huskies?
2: Well, I think it, it, it's some good things for Washington. And, and the reason being is because I think Washington would be getting one hell of a teammate. And the reason for that is Jacob Eason had a really good, I think, start to his college career. He goes starts 8-5 and five with Georgia. Could he have been better? Sure. But I think that... A lot of people liked what they saw. Kirby Smart liked what he saw, thought that he was going to be able to come along, and liked a lot of the things he did in the offseason going into his sophomore season. Mm-hmm. And he had over 2,400 yards in his first year, 16 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. But then when he got benched after his injury, and Jake Fromm, Jake from State Fromm, as you like to say, i throw that <laughs> out there it. for you. Love it. Is... He didn't get upset. He didn't get mad. He knew the team was still going to do well. The team did continue to do well. And he supported not only his teammate, but his entire team and wanted them to do better. Mm -hmm. He waited after the championship game where they lost and waited and put his arm around his teammate, Jake Fromm, and you know, comforted him, it's, you know, it's okay, man, you played your heart out, you played as best you could, that's a true teammate, that's a great teammate, he received all this praise from Kirby Smart, that's what Washington's going to be getting, and when they're going to be transitioning from Browning, Mm -hmm. hopefully, they'll be transitioning right into Jacob Eason, and it's going to be interesting, too, because, Miles Gaskin go, is going to be going back. He's announced that he's going back to Washington mm-hmm. for his senior season. But then he'll be gone as well. So Browning will be gone. Gaskin will be gone. And then after this next season, Jacob Eason could be taking over as their starting quarterback. And what that means for Washington is that I think they'd be – going back into very, very good and very capable hands in Jacob Eason as their quarterback. And a lot of people looking at Washington now, they went 10-3 and three this past year. A lot of people looking at Washington in these next couple of years, even before Eason gets there, mm-hmm. as being a top team, not just in the Pac-12, but in all of college football. So with Eason going there, you're not getting, I don't think that they would be getting the 8-5 quarterback that we saw him in his freshman year i think we'd be seeing much better the strides that were made he'll still continue to work out even when he's sitting for his uh because because he's transferring he has to sit out due to ncaa rules mm-hmm. he has to sit out that year he's still going to continue to work he's still going to get in, into the weight room he's still going to continue to to grind as though he's going through a season and I think that he'll be ready for when he's able to become the starter, which I think he will be for Washington here in the next couple of years.
1: Well, the thing I look at is right now I'm kind of looking at kind of a broad picture for, because you mentioned Miles Gaskin, and obviously the easiest answer, and you hit the nail right on the head, is the most important thing that the Huskies would get from this or will get from this is that passing of the baton. Here's Jake Browning. Let's pass it immediately to Jacob Beeson, and we don't have to have that hiccup of, okay, now we've got a sophomore guy in there. Okay, now we got a freshman guy in there. We have a guy who haven't hasn't started a full season. You're not going to get that. You've got a guy who I would have been a two-year starter. However, I am leaving because I got the job taken away from me, and I don't mean that as like, oh, I've got it unrightfully. No, Jake Fromm came in, did a great job outplayed me and took the job from me. So this was also a situation that i surprised we're talking this with Georgia and not with Alabama, because I thought this would happen with Jalen Hurts before Jacob Eason. However, Jacob Eason, a really nice quarterback talent and c- could be starting for numerous college teams. Um, if he wasn't injured this season, but like miles Gaskin, you say, Oh, he's going to return, but he's going to be gone. But there's guys underneath that I think, and I'm looking at the recruiting class more importantly. And coming in, they've got, to me, two wide receivers in Marquise Spiker. This is Washington. Marquise Spiker, who is a four-star wide receiver out of California, he's 52 overall by two uh two four seven sports. Um, and he's the number eighth receiver as well. They also got a guy, Austin Osborne, out of um California, uh Mission Viejo, California. Who is also a four-star talent. He's the 39th best wide receiver. So what's going to be able to happen, they also have got Devin Culp too, where they've got guys coming in. And I'm looking wide receivers because that's what you like, that's who you're throwing to mostly as a quarterback. I know you throw tight ends and running backs as well, but you've got guys coming in to where when you're sitting out that season, you just can't play. That's it. You can work with the team, you can build these relationships, especially with the younger guys coming up to where when you are the starting quarterback, hopefully when you win that job the next year, you have those relationships built up. And that's what that could mean also is the Huskies aren't getting a guy where it's like, oh, early in the season, he's working with getting that rhythm down with his receivers. Hopefully because he'd be there with the team that full season for 2018, he could then step in and it's like, we never missed a beat from quarterback A to quarterback B. On the flip side, why is this the right move for Jacob Eason? There's only one answer. And for me, there's only one answer why this is the right move. Well, two answers. One we've already hit. It's a great situation. Doesn't have to compete with anybody. Jake Browning is going to finish his senior year during his um, ineligibility year. The other reason, Jacob Eason is from Lake Stevens, Washington. Do you know, I'm looking it up right here on Google Maps. Do you know how far of a ride it is from Lake Stevens, Washington, down I-5, I-5 North, all the way to University of Washington?
2: I don't. I'd love you to tell me that.
1: 39 minutes. Google Maps is telling me 39 minutes right now. He could commute to campus. He can commute to campus if he wanted to. I know it wouldn't matter because he's probably going to get a full ride, but he could commute to campus that's how close he would be. So that's another issue like on the other side of why Washington would fit for Jacob Beeson. That's where his family is. Mom and dad could come to the games. They wouldn't. He wouldn't be all the way states away. He'd be 40 minutes from home if he wanted to, playing for the university that he might have grew, grown up kind of idolizing a little bit because he was only 40 minutes away. So that's another thing to play into this of how it might fit for Jacob as well.
2: So uh, another point for Washington at their at their quarterback position. So Jake Browning, uh, they're hoping is going to be returning mm-hmm. for 2018. Then you have uh, the incoming freshman hotshot quarterbacks as the Seattle Times put it, Jacob Sermon and Colson Yankoff, both top 100 recruits both are already enrollees so you you add them into the mix Mm -hmm. you have eason who was when he was coming into college was the number one the number one quarterback recruit in his class that's huge Mm -hmm. that's extremely impressive you have him coming in and being ready for the 2019 season And then, you know what that's similar to, Ricky? As the Seattle Times points out, it's similar to Urban Meyer and the quarterbacks that he had at Ohio State. Braxton Miller, Mm -hmm. JT Barrett, Cardale Jones. And it seemed to work out pretty well for Ohio State. And Not to say that it's going to work out the exact same way, but when you have three solid guys at your quarterback position and you stockpile on your talent there, you find yourself in a really, really good position. One, because you have the competition between and amongst these guys it's forcing them to get better each and every day they're becoming closer hopefully but you're going to definitely be weeding out your number one quarterback in mm-hmm. that situation and it's it's a great problem for Washington to be able to have especially if the two incoming freshmen are as good as they're hyped to be and then you have Easton coming over there being able to add another factor I think it would be really great in Washington. Maybe more willing to say, "Okay, Eason, he's he's already he's already had a, a full season here in college. He's backed up." He's seen what it's like on both sides. He's learned a lot. He Mm -hmm. learned from you know a really good head coach and Kirby Smart. Now he's come over here. They may want to. They may want to go with him. They may want to go with him because of that experience that he's already had. But I, I just, I do see this as being a really good situation for both sides, for Jacob Eason and for Washington. Now we've seen it where. Malik Zaire, he mm-hmm. wanted to leave Notre Dame and transfer over to Florida. That didn't work out. It doesn't always work out. But but Malik Zaire and Jacob Eason, I'm not trying to compare them. I'm just trying yeah. to compare possibly their situations mm-hmm. where they felt as though they're going to try and go somewhere else. They believe they'll get more playing time. They believe that they'll be given a chance to start. Whereas when you look at both situations, Notre Dame, Georgia – They already pretty much had Brandon Wimbush for Notre Dame, Jake Fromm for Georgia.
1: But the thing I wanted to throw out about Notre Dame was, and correct me if I'm wrong because you're more of a Notre Dame fan than I am, is wasn't Malik Zaire's situation also because Brian Kelly managed that situation poorly when it was Zaire and Kaiser? And that was a reason that kind of was Malik's like, you know what, I'm going to get out of here to get away from That whole stuff. Well, he managed
2: it poorly, but I also think that he already had in his Mm -hmm. mind, and as many people talked about, that Wimbush is this new Mm -hmm. golden boy who's going to come in here. And Wimbush did play well. I mean, he was he was really outstanding, And, and one of the big reasons why Notre Dame was, I think, kind of back on the map for a good part of the season this year. And Malik Zaire, he goes to Florida, and it's not. It's. I won't even put it on him that it's his fault because Florida had so many problems of their own even without having Zaire, but it just, that didn't work out. So we see situations where it doesn't always work out for the player transferring over there. But what's going to be great for Washington is that with Eason having to sit out and have another redshirt year, he'll have two seasons, two more seasons Mm -hmm. to be able to play that he'll be able to give to Washington that they know, hey, we bring this guy in, he's our starter. We've got two more years with him. It's not just this season. We've got potentially two seasons to compete for a playoff spot and hopefully a national championship.
1: Well, and another thing that kind of throws a wrench into the Washington quarterback situation too is I was originally... Before today, it just happened today, um, CBS had the story where we're thinking Jake Browning's the starter, you've got KJ, um, Carter Samuels is the backup, and then you have the two freshmen, the two ones that you mentioned coming in. And what you could do in that situation, we have our two, maybe have a third, but because we all already have Carter Samuels, if the other two don't see playtime, we can redshirt them. We can redshirt both of them if they didn't even see action. And then that way, they're redshirt freshmen. When Eason's there, two years forward, they're both redshirt juniors. We get two years of eligibility out of these guys after Eason is gone. However, wrenched in the situation. Like I said, this article, fresh, a half hour fresh. Carter Samuels is going to UCLA. Decided yes, yes. that he is transferring to go to Chip Kelly, and the exact quote that he told um, CBS was you UCLA is the right place because, first of all, Chip Kelly is a huge reason why. He's going to be running an offense that I'd like to be a part of and add to. With that said, it's close to home. Being from the Bay Area, it's just a little bit south. So for Washington, that's one thing. It's like, great, now Carter Samuel's not going to be there. One of these freshmen— might own, and I should say early enrollees because that's the interesting thing. The rest of the guys have signed, spring classes started this semester. Those quarterbacks are already on campus, they're already enrolled at the University of Washington. Now, one of those guys, maybe one of them, might have to be the backup this year. And whether, let's say, anything happens to Jake Browning or you have to throw the backup in there, you might not be able to redshirt one of those freshmen to keep his eligibility one longer because of Eason coming in.
2: So two more points that I want to be able to make, and one of them goes back to the situations of people transferring mm-hmm. and, and their success or non-successes. Okay. And just a name of a list of a, a couple of names after they transferred and the success they had, Troy Aikman, Nick Foles, Ryan Mallett, Russell Wilson, the most recent one mm-hmm. of who transferred and then and had, had, had really good success afterwards. And – a, a uh, another thing that I'm not sure if you had mentioned it early on mm-hmm. in this segment is that Eason was not recruited by Kirby Smart. He was recruited by Mark Rick. Yeah, and so Kirby Smart not no no necessary allegiance mm-hmm. to be able to as as we saw to having Eason come in, come back, and be the starter, especially after what we saw from from uh, Jake Fromm, But. Jacob Eason is going to be successful and there's going to be that team and I think it's going to be Washington that is going to see him be very successful because he has got a great arm he's got that NFL frame he's, he's just got that look of an NFL starting quarterback and I think that he will be successful and I think a big part of that is because of what Kirby Smart said about him going into the offseason after his freshman season his freshman year was fine. It was good. But were there things that he could improve upon? Yes, and we talked about those in multiple segments. Mm-hmm. But when Kirby Smart said, this guy is going to be good, he's made really good strides, he's made strong improvements, and then he gets injured, we didn't get to see that. I'm still excited because we, get, we, we haven't seen it yet. And we think of what he did in that freshman season and what he still has to bring in Washington, I think also was uh, one of the teams that that, that realized that and wanted to bring his talent there.
1: Well, and the one thing that I am quickly trying to look at is when Jacob Eason was coming out, so he was class of 2016, he did get an offer from... The Huskies— Oh, they
2: tried—they strongly recruited him.
1: Yeah, and I just wanted to make sure—and it was—I wanted to make sure that Chris Peterson was already there, because I couldn't remember the exact year Peterson was there, but that was two years already into Peterson. They really wanted him, so that's why it's kind of like a fit. And I find it interesting that—I know I mention this a lot—the crystal ball on, like, 247 Sports isn't the Bible. It's basically contributors kind of saying, oh, this is where I think this person's going to go— His crystal ball was basically number 1, 36% saying Georgia, 27% saying Florida. The rest was 9% to Bama, Washington, and Notre Dame even was in the running for Jacob Eason. So you get Washington. They get their guy, basically. I'm going to say their guy because, like you said, heavily recruited by Washington. I think this is good for—like, there is nothing bad coming out of this for the Huskies. And— with or, their quarterback situation. Or Jacob Eason, I don't Or think. Eason. Like, I mean, I don't think that Eason walks in and has to compete heavily with the two freshmen. I think it's basically Browning's job, let's hand it off to Eason for two years, then we decide what we got with the two freshmen who are freshmen right now in our quarterback room.
2: I, I couldn't agree with you more there. I don't want to write off the other two freshmen mm-hmm. who, you know, sound with with numbers-wise... And where they are in terms of their ranking, they sound good. But Jacob Eason, especially when they went after him, Washington did so aggressively the first time. Mm-hmm. When he eventually then signed with Georgia, I think that Jacob Eason's probably his second spot. Probably looking at Washington, mm-hmm. they they were def, they definitely had to be in the in the top five just because of one that closeness and two because they were recruiting him so heavily. I think that's a spot where it had to be in his top list, and now that Washington's able to get him, Chris Peterson has ha- he's got to be so happy that they're going to be getting him and bringing his talents over there to Washington, because again, there's a lot of pieces that Washington has to be able to be to be good, and in this past year, they ended end at twelve and uh, excuse me ten and three, but they're going to b- bring back Miles Gaskin. They're believing they're going to be getting Jake Browning back. Mm-hmm. This team is a team that can even make a run this next year,
1: I was and, just then and then they're and then they're
2: and then they're set up to not just make a run this next year, but the year after that, and the year after that, and then where are they do they set themselves, you know, three years down the road.
1: I was just going to bring up because I mean, in the quarterback room, you do have a like Stanford still has their starter coming back. I believe he wasn't a guy going to the draft, but like you look at the Pac twelve. You look at Washington State, Luke Falk is gone. You look at the Sam Darnold, gone. Josh Rosen, gone. You're a guy who also knows about Carter Samuel, so you're probably like, okay, I know what to expect from him when he goes to UCLA. The Pac-12 is going to be interesting, especially, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but especially in the South, what Herman or Herm is going to do, Herm Edwards is going to do at ASU, what Kevin Sumlin's now going to do at Zona. You've got the two quarterbacks in the South, Washington. Can they come back to the top of that? Will Stanford still be at the top of the North? The Pac-12 could be really interesting for the next few years, and this transfer could help Washington get back into that playoff conversation that they were in. Just a year ago, but before we invite Patrick on for our KU discussion, any final thoughts But Eason going to the Huskies? I
2: just think it's a good move, I think, because not only did Eason realize, understand, and accept that he was not going to be the starting quarterback going forward with Georgia, he looked at where he'd be able to have that opportunity, and I think it, it really is going to work out for all parties, Georgia, Georgia. Washington and Eason and you don't see that a whole lot where it works out for every single team and where there's really doesn't seem to be any bad blood or, or hard feelings and that's what it seemed like and, and that's another reason why we look at Eason and and you talked about a lot this year, especially towards the end of the season and Georgia going to the championship game. That we're going to be talking in three, four years about Jake Fromm and talking about where he's going to be in the draft. And you say hi in the draft. I still think that we could be talking about that with Jacob Eason as well. And it's because. Not only of his play that he'll he'll be able to continue to display on the field, but because of his character. He handled this with class, and a mm-hmm. lot of times we're, we talk on here about guys and their character on the field and off the field. And not only has Jacob Beeson been a friend to Jake Fromm and a just a class act to everyone else, he has... He's been that guy who's just accepted the role that he's in and he's embraced it and he's tried to learn more from it. Whereas guys may, may get a little arrogant and say, well, you know, I'm better than this. I'm better than holding a clipboard and, you know, having a headset on and stuff like that. No, Jacob Beeson was not better than that. And he, and he knew that he was do, he was doing it for a reason. It was all going to work out. And now it is. So hats off to Jacob Beeson and good luck to him.
1: Well, this is where we turn it on to you guys. Let us know what you guys think down below. What do you think of the transfer for Jacob Eason leaving Georgia? Then also, what does this mean for the Washington Huskies moving forward? Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. But Brandon, let's move on into our next topic and as I said at the beginning of the podcast, have a special guest will Special returning guest, friend of the show, I should say, friend of Most Valuable Podcast, I should say, one of our loyal patrons from patreon.com backslash most pod track, our podcast, Patrick Hill on the line. Patrick, how you doing today on this snowy Martin Luther King birthday?
0: I'm good. I'm good. It's... It's cold out, but that hasn't dampened me down too much, although this cold does suck.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I was just talking to Brandon a little bit, and I know us three were before. We actually hit the record button with how much snow is, like you said. I love to look at it, but that's about as much as I like with the snow. But luckily, we're inside. I, I hope you're inside. I know Brandon and I are oh, yeah. inside, I'm the, inside. <laughs> the wonderful studios, and we're actually talking about a A good topic that Patrick brought today. We're talking about the Kansas Jayhawks. And basically the whole encompassing topic is, are they in trouble? Because right now, Kansas, I don't know if you feel the same way, Patrick. I'll ask you in a second. But they haven't really, to me, looked like or feel like the same Jayhawk team that we're used to in the past. That's like, you know what, number one, number two seed the NCAA tournament. They're just coming off of a close one-point win on Saturday to Kansas State. However, Kansas State always plays them tough, and I know they've got a big matchup the night we're recording this in Morgantown against number 6 West Virginia, but with yourself being a KU alum and being a huge fan of this team, I'll, I'll kind of ask you, I know you're getting D'Souza back, and you mentioned to us you're going to th- basically throw him to the Wolves What's your early mindset right now with Kansas and why you think they may or may not be in trouble at this point?
0: You know, when I look at the Hawks this year, their team has really just gotten by on teams. They haven't been dominating like they were in the early part of the season. And I think there's a lot of factors that are really like starting to affect this team. They don't have a very deep team this year because, as we know, D'Souza and Billy Preston Took a while to be clear they at not see a double A. Dato has been clear, Preston still has not been. And they also have five scholarship players sitting on the bench this season. Three of them are transfer students who have to sit out for the year. So that leaves them a the very deep or very I wouldn't say deep not deep a very small depth on their bench. And a lot of and they've had to really rely on their starters a lot this season. They've had to keep going on Devontae Grant, they've had to keep relying on Lagerov Bick and Swee Su- McKaylug. And they've kind of turned into this like outside three point shooting team with Hidoka as a Buki in the middle trying to rebound. But they're really, that style really, has really hasn't really won them really good games and helps them pull away from teams. They've really had to go down to the wire. And the way that they've been playing has just been, it seems like it's been very inconsistent. They've had to really just rely on that three point shot and that's not a traditional way that Kansas plays. So, the way, so when I'm going into this matchup, I'm just thinking, like, man, if they don't hit threes right out of the gate or, like, at least try to not turn over the ball when it's shit, I don't see them winning that game. And they haven't won a game in Morgantown since, like, 2013. So if it was any team to break that streak, I'm not really sure it's this one right now.
2: For Kansas, you take a look at their last three games, and they've won them. They beat TCU on the road. They beat... Iowa State, and they beat K-State, but you look at those three games, and they're very close victories, and it's one of those, their defense has bent, but not broke, is it getting to the point where one of these games, it's going to break, and Is it possibly the game tonight? You look forward a couple of games uh, next week on the 23rd. They play on the road at Oklahoma. They'll be seeing Trey Young for the first time this season. And we know that kid has not slowed up at all this year. Are they going to be able to defend against that? And uh, again, they have... You know, they, they no longer have Frank Mason. They no longer have Josh Jackson. Those guys are gone. The inside presence, as you mentioned, Patrick, is really not there. Can they hold that up without that? And can this defense continue to sustain some of these games?
0: I really am not sure. I know the defense has really struggled a lot this year, which is really unusual for a Bill off team. Usually his teams are pretty good at defense, but I think with last year, Josh Jackson, as you said, was that like defensive presence on the wing, and I don't think Steve McHilog really is that kind of presence on the wing. Like He can play defense, but he's not going to be that shutdown guy that Josh Jackson was, or even Frank Mason was great at defense, but Devontae Graham really isn't that kind of style, level of defense. And also, you got to throw in Malik Newman in there. And one of the reasons that I think in the past KU has gotten over their lack of bench depth has been through like guys being unbelievable like players, kind of like almost like a Trey young level. It's kind of hard to compare to that guy, but I think a lot of people were leaning on Malik Newman to kind of be that star this year, along with Devontae Graham. And he's been really inconsistent this year. And I don't really see them. I don't really, he, he'll he have to have a good game tonight for him to win, but going forward, he needs to be a more integral part of that team to keep KU on the right track this
1: season. Well, and I mean, that's exactly it. Like, I'm going through just the past few years, and whether it's been guys like Wayne Seldon, whether it's been, like, Frank Mason, whether it's been, like, um, Perry Ellis, when um, I know that, like, back in the day, like, Cliff Alexander was supposed to be big. We all know what happened um, with that. But, like, Andrew Wiggins, (laughs) we were talking Joel Embiid um, before we hit the record button. There are always guys to where... It was like, okay, this team is going to like they have this main group of three and then the rest just kind of fill in the other guys around them. And with me, when I look at Kansas, I wasn't really looking at players. I was looking at the fact of at this point, when you go to ESPN's bracketology for the first time in what I would say is forever would be Kansas is not on the one or the two line. And. The last time, right now they sit at three, Um, for those who don't know, they sit in three in the Midwest region is what Lenardi has them at. The last year, or the last tournament, I should say, that Kansas was anything less than a one or a two was in 2009. And that was the year we had the, um, my favorite tournament, because it was probably the only time I predicted all four Final Fours And the national champion participants, however, I said that Michigan State would win the rematch with North Carolina in Detroit. But that was the North Carolina-Michigan State-Detroit national championship. The last time that they were the three seed was that year. And here's the thing I think of with Kansas is if they're a team that's good enough to, let's say, stay with that three seed and go, okay, we're going to be the number three seed – I could see them falling into the same—I don't want to use it as a trap because that Michigan State team was really good that year, but it for me, I would rather, based off of seedings—I know you can't guarantee that the sixth seed is going to win every time, but I would like to have the option to play the seventh seed, maybe the tenth, because a 10-7 is more of an upset um, likelihood than a 11-6. i rather have that option— To play the number 15 and then a 7 instead of, okay, we got to play the 14, which could be tough. Then we got to play the 6. Okay, then we get the number 2 team. And I know if all the high seeds rule out, you're playing that 3 seed nonetheless, but could that be a problem? That's what I'm thinking. Could it be a problem... If they're on the three line and God forbid, what happens? Let's say they lose to West Virginia tonight. Let's say they lose to Oklahoma. They meet these teams again. Let's say, God forbid, they lose those two games again. They play Texas later this year again. Let's say they lose that one at home. I know I'm throwing out a lot of losses, but those are what's going to knock you down. Yes, this team's at a three right now. How confident in Patrick, I'll ask you because you're the KU guy, like how confident would you say you are that would Kansas be a team to through conference play, make the jump back up to one or two? Or could you see, hey, maybe this team slips a little bit and we're not a three seed, we're a four or a five now instead of on that three line?
0: You know, in the past, I would usually say like, oh, I think we will get through conference play and we'll get that one or two seed. But I think the Big 12 is so deep this year with like teams and talent that every game I really feel like is just like a slugfest with these, with the big 12 this year. So I could definitely, even though I don't want to think about it, I could definitely see them dropping to like maybe a three or four seed at the, probably the very worst, I would say probably like a four, but I can definitely see that happening. And that just speaks to how deep the big 12 is this year. You know, teams in the past that used to be like Texas tech and TCU used to be the bottom of the league. And now they're, ranked teams and Texas Tech is 15 and two this year. So this is a deep league this year. So I definitely could see that happening to KU this year.
1: Well, and Brandon, before you jump in, the one thing I just wanted to say is if you look at the rundown right now from Joe Lenardi, like in years past, it would be the majority, the ACC always had a majority of the teams. But even when I was in like in high school and then afterwards, the big 10 usually was like, that's the basketball conference. And Looking at Joe Lenardi, five from the Big Ten, the top is ACC and SEC with nine and eight, and then it's the Big East with seven, the Big 12 with six. So the Big 12, like Patrick is saying, we've talked about it before, could they be the most exciting conference this year? They've creeped up, and conferences like the Big Ten have creeped down a little bit.
2: So the Jayhawks have won 13 straight Big 12 Regular season titles, 13 straight. So let's put that in perspective. The Kansas City Star, back on December 27th, they talked to advanced stats expert Ken Pomeroy and asked him what the percentage was that they would win for a 14th straight year. He said 47%. Mm -hmm. 47%, that's it. That's what the chances were. And that's speaking to how good... The Big 12 is this season, as you both have have pointed out. And with that strength of Big 12 being so big, going back to 2001, 2002, that's the season when Pomeroy began compiling all of his advanced stats. On the site, this year's Big 12 ranks as the third toughest league out of more than 500 conferences tracked in that time. Mm -hmm. That goes to show how tough and how good this Big 12 conference is this season. And when you look at the top six, seven teams, they're weekly ranked in the AP polls. And that is impressive. That is very impressive. That's very good, but that, that that doesn't necessarily do a whole lot of good things for Kansas because Kansas has been so used to, for the most part, having it be them and maybe one or two other teams that usually they're able to overcome. But this year, it's been much more difficult. And that's why I look at them, when you go back to the seeding, and Patrick, what you said, I agree with you when you said you don't necessarily see them being able to Easily, if nothing else, easily be able to bounce back up to the top because of the fact that they don't have those same guys playing good defense like they've had in the past. They don't necessarily have that strong inside presence and that they've become more of this outside shooting team that hasn't historically been the type of team that Kansas is or even wants to be. So it's a different situation that Kansas finds themselves in. And I think that we're going to see at the end of the season, a new big 12 regular season champ.
0: Yeah, I, I, I really loved, like I got, I got to be at school for four years of that conference streak. And that was awesome to see. And everyone back there took a lot of pride in that, but this could definitely be the year that that ends. And it could just be as simple as the big 12 is really tough this year. And, KU has some deficiencies in its lineup right now. You know, they're pushing, their starters play a lot of minutes, and I think KU's bench is in the bottom 10 in the country in minutes played. Like Sam Cunliffe came over as a transfer, and he hasn't really played that much yet. They've had to rely on Marcus Garrett, who is a freshman this year, and they've had to rely on him to back up Devontae Graham. They don't have the, They don't have the option of accessing the Lawson brothers or Charlie Moore. And they've had to deal with the Billy Preston debacle, which I don't like using as an excuse that the mm-hmm. that KU hasn't won a few games this year, but that you still have to keep that in mind as you're going into the season. And also, one big thing I want to point out is KU doesn't lose at home very often. This year, they have lost twice at home. They've lost to Arizona State at home, and they've lost to Texas Tech at home. And that doesn't ha- that has not happened in years that they have lost a conference game and a non-conference game at home. That just does not happen, so... This, anything could happen this season after watching those games.
2: Now, could we possibly, and, and this is kind of, is thrown to both of you guys or either of you guys, are we possibly counting Kansas out? And, and when I say we, Patrick, I won't throw you in that. I'll count. I'll I'll, I'll say it to mm-hmm. to Ricky and I. But are we possibly counting them out too soon? Because are we possibly not putting enough credit on Bill Self that he'll be able to? come up with new strategies, work these guys that haven't been in the lineup, work them and get them in the lineup and in the right spot at the right time and go on a run and, you know, be able to beat West Virginia at West Virginia. Be able to beat Oklahoma at Oklahoma. Are we are we not giving them enough credit that they've been so good for so long and it's been so easy now that there's a little bit of a little bit more talent in that conference and it's going to be a little bit more of a struggle, are we quickly saying, ah, it's going to be somebody else this year because we just don't think Kansas will be able to do it because it's been so easy in the past and we don't think that they're going to be able to respond well to this to this competition. Are, are we, and maybe myself, not mm-hmm. giving Kansas enough credit when it comes to that, when it comes to the coaching that self has? Well,
1: I mean, I can see some people saying that, like, but me personally – I don't think it's a fact of me necessarily overlooking Kansas because Bill Self is a great coach, especially offensively, a great offensive mind. The only thing that I look at when it comes to games is I wouldn't be surprised if the rest of the year, the Jayhawks at the most lost about three games, one West Virginia game, one Oklahoma game, and then maybe like. A Texas or a TCU or a K state like throw any random team in there but two to three would be my guess at the most what they lose in conference of course they could lose more because like we've already said the Big 12 is very close and to go off of something that Patrick said where you know this KU team is strong at home that's going to help them in the regular season but the thing the other thing that we I didn't mention that I we looked at the NCAA tournament Let's look at the Big 12 tournament. I was just going through while you were talking, Brandon. The last year that Kansas was not the number one seed in the Big 12 tournament was the 05 06 year. And that's because they were tied with Texas that year. The last time they were not even in the top two was the 03 04 season, where they were behind Oklahoma State and, um, Texas in that right. So let's just put it this way. The last time Kansas was either a two or a three was the last time I had something to cheer about with Illinois basketball. (laughs) Putting that into perspective, that is how long it's been that they've been at the top. And that's what I bring into this is the most important thing is how the Big 12 conference tournament schedule is broken up. Right now, if we're looking at the standings at at today, they believe, I believe they're the fourth team right now behind Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Texas Tech. If they lose tonight, that's if they lose tonight, I know sky is falling scenario right now, they would solidify right there at four. And the big thing that I would think, and any coach might tell you the same thing, might not, I would want that one or two. I think it's going to be a huge deal for Kansas if they have to. Of course, you get that first game, that first day, that Wednesday, because it's Wednesday, March 7th. You get the 8-9, the 7-10. Then you get the next four. I think it would be huge for them to get that 1-2 and play a team that had to play that first day rather than being three or four and get a team that's coming in just as rested as you are to the conference tournament. And
2: Patrick, one more thing, and then I want you to jump in here, is to go off of what Ricky's saying. And another point that Pomeroy had made in the Kansas City Star is that a a thought that the team who wins the conference this year could win the conference with three or four losses in conference just because of how good the Big 12 is this year.
0: Oh yeah, I can definitely see that happening. And you guys mentioning the tournament, this might be the first year that I actually put stake or like serious stake into the tournament. I think as a Kansas fan and as a alum, we've been so used to winning the conference championship in the regular season every year that a lot of us have kind of like looked at the conference tournament, which is held in Kansas city every year. So it's a big home field advantage for KU. And we've looked at that and go like, okay, we we want to prepare for the act for the NCAA tournament. We can win a couple conference games. Let's keep our one or two seed, and we don't put much stake into like winning like the actual tournament. But this year, to get that one or two seed, we actually have to put more stake into that tournament this year.
2: Well, it's yeah. one of the first seasons where it's going to be a dogfight, mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. and that's and that's where you where's you know where's the who what who's going to want it the most that's when that, that question that questions asked all the time in sports and in games who wants it the most who what team is the most determined to go out there and get it and is Kansas going to be the the hungrier team or is it going to be in Oklahoma a West Virginia uh, you know even a Texas Tech that wants to go get it who wants to go and get it and and I think which team has the most tenacity that's what it's ultimately gonna come down to this season
1: and the
0: thing just- and that has worried me that's worried me because Bill self said earlier this season that this team has has had the least amount of bite or the least amount of fight in them compared to past teams. So that right there just raises a huge red flag, which you just mentioned right there.
1: Well, I mean, that's – I would take that into consideration with any team. Like if you don't have that fight, like I get that about some of the teams this year in college basketball, but to put a little bit in perspective of right now where Kansas sits, if they were – if the conference tournament were to start today, and we're talking about it, the first – game for Kansas, they'd be the four, they'd be playing Kansas State in their first game. Both teams get the bye. I don't think they'd want that. I don't the would. on Wednesday. Both of those teams play on Thursday. If they were the second team, and I'm going to say second or first, because depending on losses, they're tied with those teams, so they could easily be one or two if one of them loses. If they were the second seed, they'd be playing the winner of a Texas-Iowa State game, which, I mean... Probably not like years past where it's like, oh, give me either one of them. We'll blow them out. I think Texas or Iowa State could come in there and give KU a run for their money. However, they'd be coming off of, hey, we just played a full game yesterday. Or the one that I think would be better for them is, yeah, let's play the winner of TCU Baylor, which would be if they were the two seed. The most important thing, though, those teams would have to win four straight in that many days or Kansas that first day would be rested. Now, God forbid if they fall out of the top five and or let's say even let's say nightmare scenario, they fall into the bottom four, then it's even worse. But I don't see that happening.
2: I I, I wouldn't see that happening either, Patrick. Go ahead.
0: I was just gonna say, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> I don't see that happening from looking at the schedule because mm-hmm. we've had played a lot of these teams tough over the years. We've we don't really we don't really lose to like uh Baylor hasn't beaten Kansas in years other than the conference tournament, but that might be the year to jinx it, so this will be fun. I,
2: I think that – and I haven't really dove deep into every other Big 12 teams like at the top, the top four schedules, but when I look at Kansas's schedule and I look at what they've got just coming up right now, again, West Virginia – tonight on uh, you know on this Martin Luther King Monday and then Oklahoma on the road there in a couple of weeks then two weeks uh, excuse me two games after that you've got Kansas State on the road there and you're you're ending from February 17th to February 24th you've got West Virginia at home, Oklahoma at home, on the road at Texas Tech. That is not fun. I mean again, you you can you may be able to play well in those games but you have really, really good teams, tough teams, and I think Kansas may have the toughest schedule the rest of the way out in the Big 12. So they're not getting any favors uh, handed their way going down uh, the the final stretch.
0: No, absolutely not. I I know Bill Self has always put off a very tough non-conference schedule to try to prepare guys for those kind of games. So I do have confidence, and we were talking about Bill Self earlier, I do have confidence in him... And then I should give him credit for at least trying to prepare this team for that. And one thing I do want to say that to not to not put be too hard on this team is that they do have a lot of senior leadership on this team. You know, this isn't a bunch of, like, freshmen still trying to figure it out like Kentucky was a few years ago. You know, this is – these guys are – you know, Devontae Graham is a senior. Zvi is a senior. Lodrell Vick is a junior. So they do have some at least veteran presence on this team that can help left him
1: out of that. Well, my last point, here's what we'll do to end everything. I'll give my last point, Patrick, then I'll go to you for any last things you have to say, then Brandon will round it up before we end this. But my last thing looking at it goes off what you said, Brandon, looking a little, not super deep, but just a quick glance at the other teams at the top. You know whose schedule impresses me the most so far? Texas Tech. Out of their 4 games that they've played so far, 5 games, they've Baylor You could say maybe an easy win, but Big 12 in general being tough. But most of their wins, two of them, they've played all three of the other teams they're tied with. They beat Kansas, the one-point victory at home against West Virginia. Only one they lost to was Oklahoma. So I've already gotten three of those six games out of the way, and I went two and one. So they can kind of go through it, and then they don't play Oklahoma until February 13th, And then Kansas and West Virginia are the 24th and the 26th of February. So that's the schedule I'm going to be looking at over the next month, month and a half to see how they do because they went two and one against those top four teams. We'll go to Patrick. What are your final thoughts on the Jayhawks and are they in trouble?
0: You know what? I've every year as a KU fan, you kind of think like, oh, is this the year they're going to break it or I really hope they don't. And they usually pull it out in the end and they don't. They're usually not touched by other teams at the conference. But this is the first year that I'm keeping a more intriguing look at the rest of the conference. And really, do I think this could be the year. I'm hoping it can't or it won't be the end of our conference streak. But if it is, we'll just have to live with it. But if we get through that, I hope we do well in the tournament. And rock chalk.
2: And Patrick, my final thought is to say thanks a lot for coming on today. And thanks a lot for your support. Uh, of the uh, of the MVP, uh, you know, podcast mm-hmm. and uh, you know, primetime podcast MVP in that network as a whole, we really appreciate it, and we always love talking to you. So we hope that we're able to do this uh, every month as we go along because it's a lot of fun for Ricky and I, and I I think that you enjoy it as well. Oh yeah, thanks a lot, guys. This
1: is awesome. And the one thing I was waiting for the entire right now pre edit, we're about at twenty six twenty. I was waiting for, so if you had the over-under at like 20 minutes, you hit the over with when Patrick was going to drop a rock chalk. I'm like, it's going to happen. He's going to drop a rock chalk, Jayhawk. When is it going to happen? And it happened right at the end. But this is where I'll turn it on to you guys, either watching or listening. What do you guys think? Is Kansas in trouble? Are are we basically worrying about nothing? They're going to do what they always do, win the non-con- or win the regular season crown, win the tournament crown, they will be a one or two seed, or could they have some trouble this year? Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. If you want to be like Patrick, check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast to join the tier on there to come on a podcast each and every month. But Brandon, let's move on into our final topic. And what we're looking at here, I told you about two or three weeks ago, that we were going to start to do these. Like, we did these on the fast break between, like, Lonzo and Markel Fultz. You guys loved them. So we got the first one of the year. We're looking at two college prospects kind of talking about – we'll talk about one, then we'll talk about the other. Then we'll kind of decide if we had to pick one over the other and that's what we were doing, which one would we take in the NBA draft. And we're looking at DeAndre Ayton from Arizona – and we're looking at, we're going to call him the bag man here on uh, on the podcast, Marvin Bagley. And we're basically going to look at both and then decide who would we take. Interesting thing coming in is on our first big board we did a while ago, I had Aiton number one, Bagley five. You had Bagley number one, Aiton number two. So kind of some interesting information coming into this. But the first one we'll start with, with his DeAndre Ayton, who mock draft for the fast break, everyone but Dave, Sean, and I had him at number one. I had him number Where one Dave on our big board. Dave had him, I think, three on his mock draft. I'll have to double Don check Chichet that. Donatich at number two. Donna Chich was number one. Oh, Donatich. Dave really likes Donatich, Don not Donna Chich, Don Donatich. He really likes Luca. Luca's his favorite player in the entire draft. But he likes that Euro League. We're looking at Ayton. What are your first thoughts, just generally? Of DeAndre Ayton coming into today.
2: He towers over everybody. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, Done. He, he Don't need he, to say anything more. He does. I mean, when you look at him, and you and I have looked at multiple mm-hmm. games of just him, yep. he has his way with almost everyone down low. And mm-hmm. he does. And he bodies up on everybody. That's just one of the great things about him. He's got great footwork when he's down low. And he's just his presence is dominating every single game. It doesn't matter who you put on him, and it doesn't matter who he's going up against. He is just a force to be reckoned with. He's not real big, like big and bulky, mm-hmm. but he is big, seven
1: foot, seven one. And he is between like 260 to two, like the lowest I've seen him rated, I think, was like 245, I believe. So. Yeah. He's a guy where I put it this way to you before we came up here to record the podcast was he's a taller and has so he's taller than Dwight Howard, but weighs less. Or you can look at him as a taller with more weight Draymond green. Like that's what it looks at when you look at the weight and the height for DeAndre. Ayton
2: And he just he's a guy for for me when I look at him, once he has the ball down low, Mm -hmm. you're not stopping him he's going to score. Mm-hmm. He's going to put it up. He's great around the rim. He finishes well. One thing that I was looking at when I look at him, it's how good can his jump shot be? That's one thing that I that I look, look at him and I think, okay, how is this going to transition when we go to the NBA where more guys are just like him?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How is that jump shot going to be? How is that going to separate him from everybody else? And that's when... And I and I know we're looking at Aiton first. That's where I would look more at Marvin Bagley and say Marvin Bagley. I think that when we when it comes to to a jump shot and a deeper shot, I think that the edge goes to Bagley. I think that when we're when we're looking right around the rim within you know five ten feet, I would give the edge to Aiton. You know after really looking at both films and looking at games and how these guys have played, Aiton seems to be the beast down low in the paint where Bagley. I think is is more productive. I mean he's good he's also very good down low, of course. But he is more productive than Ayton when it's you start to get 20 feet out and and, and things like that. So that's that's going to be my that would be my biggest thing, but he's great as a rebounder, he's great as a blocker and he finishes almost every time underneath
1: the hoop. The thing I look at with Deandre Aiton, the best way that I can put it when it comes to him being a center is he is, think about it as he's a mold of clay that you can mold into whatever you want. Like, he's got the physical tools to be an offensive threat as a center. He's got it, like, it, there are times with his jumper, like, anything outside of three ball range right now, I'm like, Ugh, don't take that shot. But, like, I look at his jumper and I'm like, it's there. However, I see of it as kind of like a Joel Embiid kind of situation where coming out of college, Joel Embiid wasn't a jump shooter. But now, after having the year off that he had the first year, worked on his shot, now Joel Embiid shoots up from three and nails them. So, I mean, and I know he's not a Steph Curry level, but that's what I could see from DeAndre Ayton of around the basket, it's going in. He's got the physical tools for offense, The jump shot's there, you just need to work on it with them. Two things that I don't like about, and defensively too, is he's got the defensive ability. However, we don't see it all the time in college because of one of my biggest weaknesses right now for DeAndre Ayton, and I mean, you can kind of, I attribute this a little bit to also why Arizona's having the season that they are, where... You look at Arizona right now, they have four losses on the year, and three of them came in a row. Came to NC State, SMU, and Purdue. My biggest weakness for DeAndre Ayton is that I just feel like in some games, he just gets bored. He gets bored with the college competitiveness because of, like we said, because of his height, because of his size. Like one of the games we looked at was the one from this past Saturday when he played Oregon. He towered over everybody. Like, there was, I can't remember the center for Oregon. This is all he could do. Like, just put your arms up, don't jump, pray that he misses. That's all you could do with DeAndre Ayton. And I feel like at times because of that, he gets a little bored. Like, ah, it's not challenging enough. Like, there's nothing keeping my interest. And that's why I look at that towards like, oh, maybe that's why they lost to SMU, they lost to Purdue. They love because those were the teams that could challenge you. And early on, you're just bored because you're playing Northern Arizona, UMBC, and then CSU Bakersville or uh, Bakersfield, not the most challenging opponents to start your collegiate career against. So, like with DeAndre Ayton, it's exactly what you said: force around the rim. I think the biggest thing is he's a mold of clay that you can, as a coach mold into whatever you want. Do you want him to be getting your boards? Do you want him to be an offensive specialist? Or do you want to say, hey, I can work on his defensive game and make him better defensively so we have a rim stopper at the rim at the next level?
2: Another thing that he does well, obviously, with him being so tall and and Mm -hmm. really towering over most people at the collegiate level, is he draws a ton of fouls. He draws a ton of fouls, which then sends him to the line, which he's, what 72 73% from the line. So mm-hmm. he could be a bit better um uh, from as a as a free throw shooter, but again, you know, you you, you don't want to necessarily harp on that, the, you know, the most because that's still not a that's not a terrible percentage, especially for for a, a, a big, but he has a lot of really really good tools. And I'm interested to see how that transitions to the NBA where the guys are his height his kind of build or bigger than him mm-hmm. and is he still having that same success because again he is really tall he is a slender tall dude and he's not as i guess uh built yeah. up here he doesn't as, have the frame he yet. doesn't it's that frame that's a, that's a better word the the frame that you typically would see from a lot of nba guys right now like he is he if you put him up next to uh Dwight Howard, you're thinking, man, Dwight Howard's gonna win that matchup every time. Because mm-hmm. Dwight Howard's a big dude. He's got a big frame. But at the same time, what Ayton is able to bring is he's just he he can also go up there and swat just about any ball away because he's that seven foot seven one. He's always going to be that force, that presence down low, which is always going to work out, most likely going to work out in, in his favor.
1: I'm looking at it right now, and the guy that popped into my head was Draymond Green because um, I'm trying to see if, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, I remember him being a little, not skinnier, but not as built. Looking at two pictures, I am kind of wrong. He looks almost the exact same, just a little little bit more tone on the muscles. But let's move into the next one. Let's move into Marvin Bagley. We can talk about him. Then we can, can kind of compare these guys a little bit. What are your thoughts on Marvin Bagley coming into today?
2: I like Marvin Bagley a lot, and I liked him when we did the big board. I put him, obviously, as you said, Ricky, at number one, and I put <laughs> him there because I think when you're looking at a big, I think he's an all-around. And when you say big, I mean, you can kind of interchange him from a four or a five with yep. Bagley. He's one of those kind of all-around type of guys. He's very uh, very good down low. He's a great fighter down low. And at the same time, he can also come out and shoot the three. And then at the same time, he can be down low and be able to have good court vision mm-hmm. and pass it off to a, you know, let, let's say it's a Grayson Allen from, who then takes it from three. He's confident with the ball. He seems to be a confident dribbler. He's a guy who could actually bring the ball up the floor. I'm not saying that he's a point guard by any means, but... When he but has, he could, when he has he the ball, he's, point he's he's confident. He's mm-hmm. very confident, and he can make some moves, and he's made a ton of moves. He is a big fan of the slam a yeah. you know, whereas we see a lot of things with Aiton. He'll do a little put-back, little tip-in, whereas I think Marvin Bagley's more comfortable just slamming it down with a jam. So Marvin Bagley, I really like him, whereas I would cringe where... Uh, with uh, DeAndre Ayton taking a three. I'm not cringing with Marvin Bagley taking a three. I think he's more polished.
1: Excuse me. I had to sneeze there. No, you're good.
2: I think that Bagley is a little bit more polished than Ayton is Uh in terms of an all-around type of player. But Ayton, of course, is still very good, which is why I had him at my number 2 spot.
1: Well, the thing is, the first thing I noticed is exactly what you said. Like, the first thing I mentioned when we were watching the two and some of their games, I was like, Aiton, it seems like, get the ball down low. It's going to stay with me most of the time, like 99.9% of the time. But he doesn't need to slam it home. He can either put it up, he can go underneath the basket, and he's got a soft finesse with it. When I looked at Marvin Bagley, it was... Most of the time, you just want to slam it home, and whether it was tip-ins, whether it was get the ball and put it up near the basket, those ones were not as secure, not as like, oh, it's going in for sure, that DeAndre Ayton had. However, the thing that, Bagley, this could be one thing that people think of as a weakness or a strength, is that you draft DeAndre Ayton, he's your five you're drafting Marvin Bagley you can either you can then decide okay is he going to be our 5 and be playing down low or is he going to be a guy because of that range that you talked about he can't step out hit a 3 are we going to work on that and develop him as a 4 Bagley I think is the guy where you know I said 8 and 8 mold of clay when it comes to Bagley in that sense it's more diverse of You first got to pick out where you want to mold them at, the five or the four. The thing I think is going to be his trap at the next level is if he goes to a team and they try to make him a tweener where it's like, ah, you're in between and we're not committing you to either the four or the five.
2: I think that when you said you could look at that, uh, the statement you just made is either a a positive Mm -hmm. or a negative strength or weakness. Yeah. If I'm an NBA team, I'm looking at that as a strength because, I mean, we all see where the NBA is going, and it's it's, it's a definitely a more offensive-minded mm-hmm. league, and it's a shooting uh, league and a shoot-first uh, style league, so I think that... If you're able to put him at the four or interchange him four or five on a on a given night or a given situation, I think that that's going to give the advantage more to Bagley in a positive advantage because of the fact that then you can develop more with his shot. I mean, I think it's already you know pretty developed. And when you look at Aiton or Bagley, if you're looking for a long range uh, jumper, I'm going to mm-hmm. go with Bagley. If you're looking for a three ball, I'm going to go with Bagley. Yeah. So those are uh, those are things where that really favors. Uh, Marvin Bagley on that one and that goes back to my whole comment of I think he's more polished as an overall player Mm -hmm. whereas DeAndre Ayton I think if you're just looking for if you're strictly looking for a center big guy stays down low all the time Ayton is your guy but if you want the guy who's More, you know, well-developed, can play in a couple of different positions, doesn't need to stay down low, can come up top, can go to the wing. That's more Marvin Bagley. That's my opinion.
1: Well, and the thing with Bagley, I will say, coming into, after looking at him coming into this segment, I now understand, though, because when we did our first big board, my first thought was, you know what, looking at these guys like you've seen them play, but I w- I'm thinking at the next level. What do I want at the next level? Do I want a phenomenal big guy or do I want a phenomenal point guard? And, I mean, the thing that I look at Bagley is at that point he was easily five and Aiton was one. I'm not saying that after today I'm flipping him, but the thing that I would look into, it's kind of hard where they are. But the margin between maybe Trey Young at four and Marvin Bagley have gotten smaller now because the thing with Bagley that's my only weakness with him is the whole tweener thing of, and it's not a weakness of him. It's a weakness of what is a team going to want to use him with? Because when I look at him, he's a guy that's very competitive. He's a guy that like, you can already see the work ethic of him is strong Here's the thing between the two guys that we haven't said that we have to take into consideration, and I wonder if this is what Bagley or some of the success comes from, too, of with DeAndre Ayton, the only really one, he's kind of got two people on that team, the backcourt mates, um, Trier and I'm forgetting the other one, but basically the backcourt, whereas Marvin Bagley, that entire Duke starting five was in our top 25. Wendell Carter, Marvin Bagley, Grayson Allen, Duval, Trent, all of those five were in our top 25, whereas DeAndre Ayton was the only one from Arizona in our top 25.
2: And I think that with you bringing up that point, it's a perfect point to bring up because with all of them being in there, Marvin Bagley still stands out as mm-hmm. the most... Coveted, I think, out of all of them, and as possibly the best out of all of them. When you, if you're looking for just shooter, you're going to say, "Oh well, Grayson Allen's the best shooter." But if you're going to look for who's the overall best player, mm-hmm. you know, on that on that Duke team in terms of what we're looking at it for in big board-wise, you're going to say Marvin Bagley because he's got the most tools for you to be able to use as an NBA team. An NBA team isn't going to necessarily – they're not going to put Grayson Allen and Marvin Bagley next to each other and go, you know, I'm going to go Grayson Allen. They're going to go Marvin Bagley.
1: The thing that I like most about Marvin Bagley is, first off, a little thing I didn't mention that I wanted to make sure that I mentioned. thing that I love about him, if you pass the ball to him down low – and he sees a wide-open shooter, he'll pass out to that shooter. There are numerous times it's like, pass, oh, Grayson's open, pass it to Grayson, Grayson knocks down a wide-open three. I really like that, rather than give me the ball, okay, I'm going to go to work. Because that's not where the NBA is. We don't have a lot of Back to the basket. I'm going to work you down with my post game at the next level.
2: But how many times did we see when we were when you lo- watch both of those and you when mm-hmm. you look at DeAndre Ayton? Most times when that ball was going down low, it's going it was going right to the hoop. Yeah, and and that's that. I don't want to put that as much of a knock on Ayton, but it's more how can you continue to keep a play going? Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm not saying that you're. You're it's because you're not going to score, but you know if there's nothing there when you you know now looking NBA wise, mm-hmm. are you able to effectively be able to move the ball around and get it back out to the wing for for your guard to be able to put up that three or are you always keeping it and and that's I will. You know, go back onto your comment. That's a thing that you, both you and I really did like from Bagley. Uh-huh. He's got good core vision. He's able to know where he is on the floor and where his teammates are
1: at. Well, and that also plays in also Raleigh Al- Alkins is the one that I was um, thinking about, um, the other backcourt mate to Alonzo Trier. But one of the things you mentioned while we were watching film was going off of the team thing I said with Marvin Bagley, DeAndre Ayton's the guy. He is the number one scoring threat on that team. He is the guy. So, when you have that mindset, ball comes to you, okay, I'm the guy. Whereas, Marvin Bagley, he's got five other guys that could be first-round talents in the NFL or early second-round talent in the NFL. I'm looking at Grayson Allen. He could probably be the one that falls to the second round. But... In the, the point the is, N- NBA. In the NBA, like I'm talking like 33 pick, just making sure like, ah, you, had said, just you, had, you
2: had said NFL, so I yeah,
1: I know. meant NBA because someone um, was
2: going to tear you to pieces for both, saying NFL.
1: You got to understand, we're in <laughs> draft mode now, so with me being on both us NFL and NBA, I'm gonna slip one of these times. But what I was saying is, he has that confidence then to say, Hey, you know what, it's not all on me. Hey, Grayson's open, Grayson's a pretty good shooter, I can rely, like. I don't have to do it all myself. Like that can also maybe play into it a little bit as well. And the thing that I wanted to kind of say overall, and this will be my last thing between these two before we decide who we would pick one over the other. And this kind of goes into that. When I look at these two, when I looked at my mock draft of what we had it for the fast break at that time, it was the Hawks at number one and then the Celtics at number two. And I had DeAndre Ayton number one, Marvin Bagley, number two. Bagley to me is gonna be the guy, even if he's under Trey Young, under Michael Porter Jr., under Don Chich on big boards, he's gonna be the one where it's like you're going more towards fit. Whereas DeAndre Ayton is, I want the best center, I want a guy who can be dominant, I'll go DeAndre Ayton. Or if it's like, you know what? I can bring him I can bring in Bagley as the four, or I can bring him in the five. He's going to be at one where it's like, okay, can he fit better? It's not necessarily going to be he's the best prospect. Here it is, even though he could be the best prospect in some guy's minds.
2: So after our discussion here, I had Bagley at one on the mm-hmm. big board. I had Aiton at two on the big board. I wouldn't change it. I would keep I would still hold Bagley at that number 1 spot and I would still keep Ayton at the number 2 spot. There may be NBA teams depending on where they're at, what the fit is that they need that may switch those and say, you know, we would rather have Ayton because this mm-hmm. is the need that we have on our team, but I think most teams would be looking Bagley, he's the best overall. When you look at him compared to Aiton, he's the more polished one as a shooter beyond just, you know, down low and five to ten feet away from the basket. Bagley's the guy who I think is already there in terms of a, uh, a perimeter shooter, whereas Ayton still needs some development in that area if he's going, you know, if he's going to get there and be a solid guy there, which is mm-hmm. why I still would hold Marvin Bagley at that number one spot. But DeAndre Ayton, there's a lot of really good things with him. He he would still be at my number two spot at this point right now.
1: I would similarly to what you would say. If I was picking between the two, you said you're picking a center. Who are you going with? I'd go DeAndre Ayton because, you know, I said mold of clay. Yeah, it's a mold of clay. But if I'm looking for the guy who can step in and be more NBA ready Day one, I think that's DeAndre more so than Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley to me is all upside. Well, not all upside, mostly upside. To where it's like you see the things that are there, and you're like you can be re- like you're really good right now, but you're playing a it's a it's kind of like eight and two. You're a man playing amongst boys right now, and the thing with Duke that plays into that, they're a very well coached team. Not saying that Arizona isn't, but well coached team. They have, like I said, 25 of the best prospects in that starting lineup, so that's going to play into it as well. But Marvin Bagley has the tools, and arguably he, some could see him. I know it's only .4 more a game than um, Aiton, but some could see him as a better rebounder than DeAndre Aiton. The only thing I think that Marvin Bagley needs to work on more is, for me, especially around the rim when he finishes, it. When it's not a dunk, it's a fifty-fifty ball in my eyes most of the time. Where, unless Bagley's going up with authority, he puts up a little like underneath basket shot, and it's like, oh, that that might not get. He doesn't might have as much in. finesse exactly. as, as Aiton does when Aiton it comes to finish.
2: that mm-hmm. shot. Yeah, that shot.
1: However, he can step out right now longer than Aiton. However even though I'm more confident in that than Aiton, it's not like having Grayson Allen out
2: but, there. But but Bagley also, and, and I don't want to go back mm-hmm. to this point yeah. because I know we're wrapping up here, mm-hmm. but, but Bagley, again, he can handle the basketball exactly. a little bit. I don't think I'd want to see DeAndre Aiton handling the basketball.
1: That's the third part is, and this is a topic for another day, where the NBA is going, guys like, and I'm not comparing him to him, I'm just saying guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, where it's, a point forward. Man, you're in not very good NBA. at names, and you
2: hit that one. I
1: did. I did. Good I, I've shucks. been practicing that one, but <laughs> like, not saying he's the main ball handler, but he can't handle the ball a little bit, kind of like the point forwards that we see in the NBA. But this is where we turn it on to you guys. Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. Do you like Ayton? What do you see from Ayton? What do you see from Bagley? And if you had to choose right now, who would you choose? I can't wait for our next big board because I feel like. Bagley might be climbing a little bit on my big board. No spoilers as of yet. But thank you guys for checking out the Primetime Podcast. If you're on Blog Talk, Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in, Spreaker. You listen to the whole thing. And if you're on YouTube doing the same, thanks for being a champ and listening to the whole podcast. If you're on YouTube, go check out our other segments. We had Patrick on today. It was a great time talking Ku hoops little housekeeping to end the podcast number one if you like what we're doing here make sure to check out patreon.com backslash most available podcast that link in the description you can be like patrick and be on the show each and every week if you're at the ten dollar tier number two we want to hear from you we have a mvp survey a census however you want to think about it down below into the description make sure to click the link it takes about two minutes that's the longest time that we've had from somebody who's taken the survey make sure to take our survey We only get better with the feedback from you guys who watch and digest our podcast on a weekly and daily basis. Also, if you're on iTunes, have an iTunes account. If you can go give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating, it would mean the world to us. Last but not least, we're having MVP t-shirts. We're selling them. $22 a pop. With that shipping included, all that information is down below in the description as well. I want to thank you guys if you're on YouTube watching. Thank you guys for checking us out today. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, you're on YouTube listening to the whole podcast. Thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.